Well, good morning. Uh, my name is David, if we've not met before. Um, this past week, I have been uh, ill, and I am not yet entirely sure whether that's really affected the sermon or not. So all I've asked the team to do is just, if it gets like really off beam and it feels like the, you know, the flu drugs are getting to me, somebody else will just take over the sermon. So if that's what happens, you know that I've just veered off into some just strange heresy and the team are shutting me down. So is that okay? Uh, <laughs> we are on page 23 of our journal. Uh, this is the, the series called What God Are You Talking About? And today I want to talk about the God who chooses to be known. And therefore, as a result of wanting to talk about that, begin with perhaps what is an obvious text that you may know. In the beginning, you've heard this one before, right? Was the Word. Oh, wait. No, this is not the one we thought it was. <laughs> it's the other one. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As John says in chapter 1 of his gospel, if you borrowed a Bible from us, it's on page 590. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you're a Jewish person in the first century, this writer is undeniably and unequivocally talking about God here. He's using the language of God. He's using biblical language about creation. But at the same time, he's also not talking about God as you have previously known it, because he is obviously, spoiler here, talking about Jesus. So he's using the language of the Old Testament about God to talk about Jesus. But he's not done yet. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. <laughs> it's like, whoa, that changed quickly, didn't it? <laughs> One minute we were talking about God making the world, and then there was a dude called John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As you read this text, there's perhaps a question presents itself to you, a question that we need to perhaps reflect on a little bit, a question about God. The question is this. Perhaps it's a question you want to talk about with me in our dialogue sec sec <clears throat> section. That's the word. Um, some words are just a little bit escaping me today. Forgive me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
This is just water. Um, perhaps in our dialogue time, you might want to talk to me about this question, but is God finding us or are we finding God? Is God finding us or are we finding God? I think Christians should know the answer to this question. I think you should know what your answer to this question is. It might impact how you work out what it is to even be a Jesus follower. Like people in crisis, people in trauma situations, people sometimes are like rock bottom at something in their life will, will sometimes testify to like an encounter with God. You, you hear these moments, perhaps you've read stories of people in Alcoholics Anonymous, for, for example. Uh, this week, I, I spotted in the news Chandler Bing, or Matthew Perry, as he's known to his friends, from Friends, produced his, uh, produced his autobiography, and he talks about this moment at, the very, at this low of an overdose where he had this encounter with God. These moments where it feels like God finds us. But is that the norm? Or is that just for some people and the rest of us, we have to go looking because God's kind of hiding from us? Perhaps another way to ask this question uh, is what about you? Are you moving towards God? Or is God moving towards you? And the answer to this question, I think, is rooted in a sort of question that we've been asking throughout the first two parts of this series. Basically, your answer to this question depends on who you think Jesus is. Let's go back to the text that we opened with just a moment ago and think, in week one of this series, I talked about how, like, you know, big sort of mind-blowing moment, Jesus was God. Hugely controversial. No. Okay. Uh, but one of the things I tried to say in that, in that sermon was that if we really confess that Jesus is God, that actually changes the philosophical lens that Christians use to view the world. That actually we see everything through Jesus. So our view of truth is defined and shaped by Jesus and not the other way around. And then last week, Phil, I don't know if you were here last week and you remember Phil's teaching. He just rolled out like a, just a really simple teaching on the Trinity. And um, uh, like, yeah, some of us were here. And, um, and, and just brilliant, brilliant thoughts and ideas. But Phil said something during that teaching, and I wonder if you picked up on it because I just, I loved it. He said, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. So it's not like we meet Jesus, but there's still, there's still something else out there different from Jesus that we need to be careful of or watch out for. Jesus is God, and even in the Trinity, Jesus is the full revelation of God to us. And now we have John's gospel, the opening of John's gospel. The word was God. You know those makeover shows that you see on TV? You know the ones where the person, like they go backstage, and then there's like smoke, and then they come back through, and they've all been made up? You know those shows? Yeah, I don't watch them either. And uh, the... And there's that moment where they're like, and now here they come, and, they, and, they, and through the smoke, the person appears. And it's like John's saying to us here that when God sort of appeared through the smoke, it was Jesus that was there. That was God's revelation to us. There's not extra God to find out. This is God revealed to us. And what John then does for us, which I think is really helpful here, is he, he basically helps us build our theological houses. Because firstly, he points out that Jesus is fully God. The word was God. Right, so, so here we've got this here. So don't miss this. This is significant. When people say to us sometimes, well, how do we know Jesus was God? Well, John tells you in verse one, right? He doesn't want you to miss this. I'm gonna tell you a lot about Jesus, but don't forget, he is 
God. But two other things that are really interesting in this proclamation uh, uh, that's going on here is he also throws in this line, there was a man sent from God. Now, I, I tried to draw attention to it when I read this story, but <laughs> like if you were writing the Bible, right? Okay, so you've got, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was the light of all things. The light shines in the darkness. What will I write next? Oh, yeah, there was a man called John. It kind of feels like a little bit of whiplash, like that's not what I expected here. There's a man called John. But actually, this is really, really significant because I think what John's gospel is doing for us here is reminding us that the word of God is revealed to us as Jesus, that God is, the, the word is Jesus and Jesus is God. How do we know that? How does it get revealed to us? Well, in a lot of cases, somebody tells us. In a lot of cases, somebody preaches it. And when we think preacher, we think what I'm doing right now. But when we talk and tell the story of Jesus, we're part of the revelation process of how God works. That, the, the, that Jesus was revealed to us, that's the Christmas story, Advent is coming soon, but, but also we tell this story. So there's this strange sense, and, and perhaps if you've been around church for a little while, maybe if you came from a slightly more traditional background, having said that, you're at Westside, anywhere you came for was probably more traditional. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, like, and sorry, it's a joke that I found was funny. Um, and, uh, the, um, if you come from a more traditional background, you maybe even hear the sermon sometimes referred to as the Word of God. Somebody will say to the preacher afterwards, like, you really brought the Word of God to us today. But the Word of God that the sermon has is not the same as the Word of God that John's talking about here. The Word of God that is the sermon does what the man John does here. He points us testifies to the actual word of God. But then there's another level that's fascinating here because let, let's just think, what have we got here? This is a piece of scripture. And in fact, it's really interesting because what John does is he uses three words that he knows will trigger his readers in the beginning. Immediately makes you think of Genesis chapter one. But in Genesis chapter one reads, in the beginning, God. But here, instead of in the beginning, God, we have in the beginning was Jesus. Now that's gonna kind of just stir things up a little bit for some people, because what John is also making here is this point, that even Scripture, which we call the Word of God, is actually the Word of God because it points us to the Word of God. That sentence will make a lot of sense when you read it back later in your notes. Perhaps use a very heavy reliance on a capital W and a lowercase w in this sort of particular case. The word of God, lowercase w, is scripture which points us towards uppercase w, Jesus, the word of God. Why do I make a point like this so strongly? It's because in, in a lot of Christian circles, particularly North American and European evangelical circles, We've got ourselves in a little bit of trouble around the Bible, I think. I think that we have, and please don't hear what I'm not saying here, but we have elevated it too high. To the extent that some people talk about the Bible almost as if it's the third member of the Trinity. We believe in Father, Son, and the Bible. And I think we've got to be careful of that danger. Because here, what we're realizing is there is a word of God, it's Jesus. And the Bible points us to him. So the Bible is the Word of God, but it's the Word of God in as much as it points us to Jesus. That sounds like a really controversial take. It's actually very orthodox. 
So if you're curious, like where do we stand on Scripture? What is the Bible? Well, the Bible, let me say it like this. What the Bible does, what the Bible does best, what the Bible does perfectly, what the Bible even does infallibly, if you want to use those sort of languages, is it points us to Jesus. And when we use the Bible to do something other than that, we are not using it as the Word of God, and it therefore may not even be the Word of God. Sounds like a very hot take. So let me just give you a quote from somebody that you might want to accept as a better authority on this than me. Jesus, who in John chapter 5, when having a discussion exactly like this, said to the Pharisees, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is the word that the word points to. So when you go to church on a Sunday morning, what you really hope will happen is that a preacher will bring you a word of God. And how will you know it's a word of God? Because it will point you towards the word of God. And when you read that word of God, that will point you towards the word of God who will save your life. And it sounds really controversial to say, but it's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Scripture points to me. And that's fascinating to me because, you see, I think we can preach about Jesus. We can even hold up the Bible for the television and not be pointed towards Jesus. There are sermons that talk about Jesus but don't point you towards him. There's ways to use the Bible that seem very religious, but they don't point you towards Jesus. If we actually are engaged with the word of God, it will point us towards the Jesus who is fully God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Maybe I'm making my point too strongly this morning. And really at some level you're going, is this sermon once again just simply making the point, not only is Jesus God, he's fully God. But a little bit of data for you. (laughs) A recent survey amongst American evangelicals When asked the question, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God, 73% of American evangelicals agreed. Now bear in mind, in verse 1 of John's gospel, John has said the opposite of this. John has said that Jesus is God. Not a creation of God, but he is God. And yet 73% of evangelicals, by the way, evangelicals are famous for a lot of things. And one of the things they're famous for is that we take the Bible seriously. The Bible is the word of God and we absolutely listen to everything it says. But 73%, think of something. In church history, it's a heresy called Arianism. It was pretty much settled 1,600 years ago that Jesus is not a creation of God, that he is God himself. But here we have 73% of American evangelicals in 2022 don't believe that. Now, also, when asked the question about whether Jesus was a great teacher but not God, 43% of American evangelicals agreed. So 43% of American evangelicals don't think that Jesus is God, rather he's a great teacher. I mean, come on, America, help us out here. (laughs) On one hand, this is a heresy. But, you know, maybe that's not such a big concern for you. But let's think about this a little bit more. If Jesus isn't fully God, what does that mean? 
What I want to suggest is if Jesus isn't fully God in your understanding of Christianity, Jesus, therefore, is subordinate to God. There's God, and then there's Jesus at a lower level than him. If you believe that, then the idea of subordination is now sort of baked into your idea of God. So you can now support the idea of subordination because, hey, theology, right? That might not sound so interesting. It might not even sound an exciting thing to talk about on a Sunday morning. But what happens to us when we have an idea of God that includes a subordination of Jesus to God is we can now look for subordination elsewhere and defend it as that's what God is like. So men, for example, can say that we think we're better than women because women are subordinate to men. I don't know if you've ever heard an idea like that. Or perhaps we can endorse ideas like slavery because one group of people have the right to own another group of people. Perhaps we can treat different ethnicities differently based on where they're from because, hey, theology, right? If God can have subordination, so can we. Think briefly about a religious group that's big into subordination. Evangelicalism? We don't have a great history on treating women well, and definitely not equally. In fact, to this day, there's evangelicals arguing strongly for the idea that men and women are not equal. North American evangelicalism had a bit of a bad rap recently when it comes to conversations about immigration, and let's not even begin to talk about racism. So interesting to me that a Christian group that has not really grasped the equality of men and women, this is a group that our history would find itself in as a church, a group that's not been great with men and women, not been great around issues of race and immigration, also, also doesn't really have a clear grasp on Jesus' equality with God. What I want to say is simply this, what you think about God matters, because what you think about God will probably come out in how you live. If God defends the, if your idea of God defends the idea of inequality of people, then that will start to come out in how you live. And the early Christians had exactly the same issue. Just in case you haven't tracked this, the world that Jesus was in, highly filled with inequality. And yet the early Christians fought against this. You find Christians within a few decades of Jesus standing against slavery all over the place. You find early Christian writers in a world that was built on slavery. You find early Christian writers saying things like, how can one human own another human? This would be wrong. Their basis for understanding it was wrong? Jesus is Lord. Because if, if the Trinity itself understands mutual authority and not subordination. This is early Christians, 1900 years ago. If our view of God has no subordination in it, that would mean that any model in the world that endorses subordination is, let me check my notes, ungodly. So the early Christians, who we think of as the past, were way more progressive than most of us are in the modern Christian world because they understood a model of God. And the model of God they understood was of mutual sharing of authority, not of domination. So how you treat women, how you treat people of a different ethnicity than you, how you think about immigrants, 
How you think about indigenous people, how you think about poor people, all actually reveal a little bit of something about how you think about Jesus. So ladies, when you find yourself in one of those situations where a man is talking down to you in church, just be like, so you don't believe Jesus is God then, huh? (laughs) Because our model of Jesus frees us to think differently. And I have heard and I have made arguments from Scripture throughout many parts of my life in sermons in this room about why we push towards equality. But the biggest argument against inequality is that the Trinity doesn't have it. Basically, it's just not what God's like. And if the call of people who follow Jesus is to be like Jesus, we have to think about equality differently. Notice what Jesus says in John 10, I and the Father are one. In John 14, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But I'm sure there's still somebody saying, well, okay, so what? All right, so we've got this idea of God. What does that actually mean? And I have one answer. It may actually be two answers, but my answer is simply this. (laughs) This affects how we think about God's trajectory. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John said in our opening text. Think about the movement that's going on here. If Jesus is fully God, then God is the one who's coming towards us. Because the story is that Jesus came towards us. Remember our opening question, are you finding God or is God finding you? Well, if Jesus is God, then God is finding you. In a week and a half's time, we have Advent Wednesday service in in here. It'll be 6.30 on Wednesday night. We'd love to have you join us where we begin the season of Advent, a season where we remember that God has come towards us. The God we are talking about is a God who wants to be known by us who has made himself known to us, and he's looking for us. Let me explain this to you by way of a diagram that you may have seen before. Have you seen this diagram before? Perhaps you've heard me talk about this diagram before. This, is kind of, this diagram is everywhere within Christianity. We love this diagram. I have been to seminars on how to teach this diagram. This diagram can be drawn in restaurants on the back of napkins. You can use this diagram on printed forms instead of a tip to help servers come to Jesus because that works. This diagram works in a a very easy and clear to explain way. It's known as the bridge to life. The idea is that God is on the other side of a chasm from us, and we are separated from God. So far, perhaps so good. And therefore, we have a problem that we are on one side of the chasm, and our aim is to get to the other side of the chasm in order to get to God. If you've been tracking with us for the last several weeks of sermons, I wonder if some of the lights on your dashboard start to kind of blink up at this point. Maybe you start to sniff out what's going on here. So God's response, because we can't get to him, is to send Jesus to provide a way in order to get across this gap. So God provides the solution, and if we so choose, we can now walk to God. It's very clear and very easy to explain. The only problem with it is, it's not the gospel. 
not actually the story that we just read in John chapter 1. Not actually how the Bible describes this. A couple of things, I wonder if, if you're taking notes and diagramming this and you've just gone to the couple, trouble of copying this down neatly and then I've just said, no, don't do this. I'm sorry for all your artwork. But here's how you might want to fix it, okay? The first thing you notice is God is on the other side of a chasm. Two things quickly. Number one, actually God's here um, also. And also God is here too because we just read John 1 and we know that because the word became flesh and moved amongst us. Again, not controversial. Like we teach children this at Christmas time. Jesus came to us. Like it's the least controversial take in all of scripture that we every single year forget by Easter. (laughs) At Christmas, we're like, God has come to us. Isn't it amazing? And by Easter, we're like, how do we get to God? Like he's there. (laughs) He came to us. He's with us. God is with us. That's the story. The other thing I think you'll notice is that we assume the problem is that we're trying to get this way, which is a real shame because God's trying to get this way. It's like passing him, you know? You ever had that experience where you're driving one way down the street and your friend's driving the other and you realize you were trying to get to each other? And we're trying so hard to get to God, forgetting that God is trying to get to us. God is coming towards us. Another fascinating thing about this diagram you might just notice, you are the center of the diagram. It's all about you, what you can do and how you can do it. The gospel is all about things that have been done for you. The gospel is about that God is coming to you. Before you even knew there was a chasm, Jesus had bridged it and had come Towards you. Jesus is God. And if he is God, that also means God is not far from us. So the idea of thinking in terms of chasms and gaps and distance doesn't actually have any place in Christianity because the story of Christianity begins with a God who has come to us. Is that how you think about God? Is that how you talk about God? See, it's one thing to say that Jesus is God. Rarely will you find, well, actually, 73% of people would disagree with that statement. (laughs) Jesus is God. The Bible points us towards God. The things that we proclaim should point us towards that God. But if God has come towards us, then everything has changed because this is a God who wants to be known. Not a God that we have to find, but a God who will find us. How does that change how we think? God is coming towards us. What does that do in our understanding? I'm going to invite my friend AJ to come and join me for dialogue this morning. Some of you will have met AJ before. He's a Westsider, and uh, he taught in the summer during our Acts series. So I wanted to invite him to come and be part of our, our dialogue this morning. Uh, but I also have people in the, in the room uh, with a microphone. So if you have a thought, a question, an idea, put up your hand. They'll bring the microphone to you. I want to invite you a couple of things. We use this frame of whether there's something in conflict or confusion or clarity just to help maybe help you shape a question or a thought or a comment. Um, Let's work on just keeping our comments clear. What I'm noticing more and more, when our questions are too long, (laughs) I forget the first part of the question or the first part of the comment. So let's, you know, just think about how we we sort of frame our questions and, and ask them. But ultimately, what I'm inviting us to do is say, what is God stirring in our hearts? What is it that God is, is trying to sort of wrestle in us as we listen to some of this teaching? AJ, thank you for being, for being here. Um, and thank you for not, uh, I don't know if your lack of just kind of wrestling with me to the ground during the sermon was the fact that, you know, I didn't veer into heresy or you too are a heretic. So, but 
I don't know if you have any thoughts. Um, I <laughs> Everything was, you heard was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was thinking about, I was, found myself reflecting on um, our origin story as found in Genesis with the, in the beginning and, I was, and how we often think that the, when humans, when we fell, that that changed God. Mm-hmm. Um, but God didn't change in that moment and he yeah. never stopped looking he started looking for us in the garden and he's never stopped. Yeah. And that culminated in Jesus and he's still looking for us. And how we, yeah, we think that he changed and he no longer wanted to walk with yeah. us, but it was us that changed in that moment. And he never stopped yeah. looking for us. That's what I was reflecting on this morning. Man, I love that. I love that. In fact, even as you said that, I'm like a whole, a whole new better sermon formed in my head. You know, um, thanks so much, man. Uh, the <laughs> no, because it, it, the first thing God ever says in scripture uh, to humans is, where are you? You know, he's looking, they're hiding. God is, God is finding. And we often think about it, that God is hiding and we are finding. But actually, it's the other way around. What a phenomenal thought. Um, remember that, that's the thing to write in your, in your journal, everything, you know, before. So questions, thoughts, comments about what AJ just said. <laughs> oh yeah, here we go. Okay, hello. Um... I think this topic is one of the biggest uh, contradictions we have as Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember growing up, uh, one of the biggest concepts, uh, the, the biggest contradictions of the Trinity, I think, is at the center of this year topic. Because if we look at the, the scriptures, um, and we go back to the baptism of Jesus, where the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the crucifixion, where Jesus called out to heaven and said, Father, forgive them. And so the concept of Jesus and God being the same people when Jesus is also referring to a third person, so to speak, mm-hmm. to the Father for forgiveness and the Father is also calling him the Son. I think that's where we have the biggest contradiction about accepting Jesus is also God. Mm-hmm. That's just a comment. But I, it's something I've struggled with from early Christianity and trying to understand that the Trinity and Jesus being the same as God is also, you have the evidence in the Bible. Yeah, AJ has great thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> um, hey, listen, if any of you resonate with that question, right, a um, couple of thoughts just really quickly. Number one, you're always going to, you're always going to find that. If the Trinity has paradox within it, you know, the, the problem I think is that we try and work from our position to make sense of the Trinity, and in doing so, we always get ourselves stuck. What if we work the other way around? So think about Jesus. How is Jesus fully God and fully human? Well, the reason we struggle with that is because we assume we know what fully human is and try to figure out how that works with Jesus. What if Jesus is the one showing us what fully human is like? What if Jesus is the one modeling that for us? So we go, oh, well, the Trinity's a paradox. Well, it is if you think it is. <laughs> the other way to think about it is that this is just how God is, and he will, and, and again, even to be careful with our language, Jesus is God, and he prays on the cross to the Father, who is also God, and the Holy Spirit is present, who is also God in that situation. And sometimes, just even, I do this all the time accidentally, we talk about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. No, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not you know, one's not God and the others aren't. We accidentally fall into subordination, don't we? The other thing I would say is, 
If any of you are resonating with that comment there, listen to Phil's sermon from last week. If you, if you, did, if you were here, listen to it again. If you weren't here, Phil wrestles with some of the ways to avoid getting stuck in that problem. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, th- I think that's what I would say as well as listen to Phil's sermon from last week. I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's one of those things that you can't, it's hard to wrap our heads around. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the more that we try to explain it, the deeper we fall into being wrong. I think. Um, so I think the more, the less we try to explain it, the better we will have, or not the better, but we'll probably be closer to being right mm-hmm. by trying to kind of leave it to mystery and let it be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Bible says that God is one and that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so therefore, if that's what we're told, that's how it works, <laughs> which I know doesn't sound like a great answer. That's what we're wrestling with. Tori, do you have a question over here? Great comment though. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, David, I'm a, I'm a simple man. To be clear, two points. On the equality and men and women and ethnicity and all that, you need, you need to back off on that because that's far too convicting. Sorry. I... Far too convicting. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> on, so that, that certainly should touch all our hearts, absolutely. Uh, and the second point is... Uh, thanks for clarifying that, that God is coming, has come, will continue to come for us. Mm. And it's, for me, one of the fundamental apologetics of our faith, because today we find ourselves in conversations with friends and acquaintances who we don't want to offend. Mm-hmm. And every faith goes. Mm-hmm. And what is it that makes ours right or wrong, well, we're, we're not climbing a ladder to God. We, he puts his hand in the mire of humanity. Yeah. And if you can think of all of what a pit on a farm looks like, he comes for us. Yeah. And to me, that, that's, that's, that's an apologetic that just absolutely... Mm. separates this faith from faith. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Do you have any thoughts, comments? I, yeah, I think what came to mind as you were sharing, thank you for sharing, um, was uh, during the first service, I had the thought of, of how if, if God is finding us, we so often come to others and try to show them God and, and be the ones that are trying to reveal God. But God is the one that comes to us and just flipping that script and saying, how, how is God finding me through this person? And in this conversation that I'm having with someone, that's just the thought that I had when you were sharing. Yeah. But as we're talking with people of, of different, of, you know, we're questioning, is this right or is this wrong? Are we right? Are they right? Or all that kind of stuff is, where is God in this conversation and how is he finding us right now? And how can he find me and this person, right? How is he revealing himself to both of us in this conversation rather than how can I reveal him to that person? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that was... I think one of the dangers, and we've, we've alluded to this throughout this series, that, that we... I was thinking about the language of apologetics so quickly becomes about defending our faith rather than pointing people towards Jesus, doesn't it? And I, I kind of felt that in what you were saying, that that 
don't, don't defend the faith. That would be my, my comment to everybody. Just, just point people to Jesus. Like, there's only one thing I know for sure. Jesus is Lord, right? And, and, and everything else is part of my journey towards that truth. And, and I would be, I think it's Stanley Harvest that says, but I'll steal it. Uh, you know, I, I also live in, I live in this theological position that Jesus is Lord is not a matter of opinion. You know, um, that, that's the one thing I, I think to be true. Um, what I think compels Christianity to me Number one is that Jesus is Lord. Number two is that having made the confession that Jesus is Lord, think about what John chapter one teaches us, that where most religion, including some forms of Christianity, where most religion ends is where Jesus begins. So we often say, oh, we're on this journey to get to God. So you find out about God, and now comes the lifelong journey of how do you get to him? Do the right thing, try really hard, climb the ladder, get to God. Christianity if it's truly confessing Jesus is Lord, says you're already there. <laughs> and I think that's what I found deeply compelling about the faith of following Jesus is not only is he Lord, but by that confession, all of the effort is now removed, which actually frees up my time quite substantially. Um, which is why actually, just as a side point, why Christianity is such a mission-focused way of being. Because you don't have to spend your whole life trying to get yourself right with God. God has done that already. So what are you going to do with your time? How about be like him? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think just to add to that too is the more that I find, the more that I read about Jesus and, and encounter him and meet with him is the more that I find out how to be human. Um, I love that. And that... <clears throat> The less, the further, the more I look to elsewhere outside of Jesus, the less I know how to be a human. And in that, to be also like God at the same time. And I think that as we follow Jesus and we, we listen to his ways and the way that he showed us how to be a human, that's going to speak to others around us. And when they ask, oh, why do you do that? Or why do you think like that? Or why do you speak like that? Well, it's because I, I have found this way to be human. And it's in following Jesus. And in that, being like God as well at the same time. Yeah, I mean, just write that down in your notes as well, because that's wonderful. Thank you. Tyson, do you have one more thought or comment back here? Hi, Pastor David. It's Billy. Here I have a question. I, a friend sent me a uh, sermon years ago from uh, Bill Johnson. I can't remember what church he's from. I think it's in Redding, California. But in this sermon, he asserted that Jesus is fully human, and as such, we as fellow believers can do anything that Jesus can do, meaning all the miracles performed, raising people from the dead, prophesying, healing, casting demons, etc. So I was just curious your thoughts on that. Thank you, Billy. Um, yeah. The, uh, the basic rule with, uh, with the team of microphone people is don't give the microphone to my friends, and um, <laughs> this is why. <laughs> and, uh, okay, well, so you put me on the spot. Um, uh, <laughs> look at you laughing at me. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm glad I'm not got that question. Um, uh, Bill is making some functional mistakes when he says it like that, and that's because of some aspects of the theological background that he comes from. Uh, can I leave it as vague as that, just to say at the moment? Um, what, what Luke would tell, let's, t- let's talk about Luke, the gospel writer. What he would say in that is that, that Jesus, yeah, Jesus is fully human, yes. But we've got to be careful 
of what's going on with Jesus' miracles, how are Jesus' miracles happening? And what Luke would say is that they are happening because of the power of the Spirit present in, um, in Jesus. Is that fair? Uh, is that, is that, am I being clear when I say that? So, so do I believe in miracles? Yes, right? I think if, if, if one of the confessions of, of Christianity should always be that our insistence that the world is as small as we try to make it within, our, within secularism is something Christianity wants to push against. Do we believe in the transcendence of God? Absolutely. But we've got to be careful of not doing the sort of A to B that, you, that you, the sermon you heard is doing there, of going, oh, because Jesus is human, we as humans can always do the same thing. The, the New Testament, I think, is very clear that anything that Jesus does is done based on the power of the Spirit working in him. And one of the problems that happens with the theology that, that I've seen in, in a few contexts coming from the church in Reading is, is actually an overemphasis on you, the person. And so, without trying to turn this into an exact teaching moment, think about how often we talk about being Jesus-centered. And one of the things we will constantly have to resist as Jesus followers is the desire to put ourselves in the, as the catalyst and the agent of all these things. And, and I think what I hear, and I've heard comments like this before from that church and movement, is this sense that, oh, it's about you, right? One of the fascinating things that, that happens in Luke's gospel is that even about Jesus himself, it's the power of the Spirit that's motivating and moving that. So, I mean, it's a huge question, and uh, thanks so much for putting me on the spot about it. But, but I, I mean, I don't know if that, give me a kind of nod or a yes. Does that sort of, to any of you, does that sort of make sense, what I'm digging at here? Because, because there's a flip side, um, nobody nodded, so I'm, I'm just going to keep going. The, the, the flip side of it is, what can happen with this sort of idea is that if you then, a human, pray for somebody and they're not healed, Right? Uh, hope for something that doesn't happen, you have to now start doing some math. Right? Like, why did this not happen? And invariably, the answers you come up with is, there's something wrong between me and God, or there's something wrong with my faith. Right? And the trauma and the damage that is done by, by a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic groups, I grew up in these sort of contexts, so I know it very, very well, by, allowing, by cornering people by false theology that leaves them caught without a way to go when it doesn't quite happen like this. And look at the, you know, there's, there's moments in the scriptures, Jesus didn't do any miracles in that sort of place. Jesus stopped healing in that particular context. Like, I don't think we're often cognizant enough of the fact that Jesus didn't heal everyone, right? I think about this, Joseph disappears from the story of Jesus when Jesus is 12, right? When Jesus is on the cross, he hands over responsibility of looking after his mother to his friend, implying that his mother doesn't have someone else to care about him. That means that Jesus went to Joseph's funeral at some point, didn't raise him from the dead. So can we have a theology that's broad enough to cope with, we don't get to control everything. People will get ill, bad things will happen, Jesus will still be Lord, and you're not a failure because of that. You know, because you prayed for somebody to get well and they didn't, doesn't mean God has failed you. Because, because you suffer with something and it's not going away, because you lost your job, because your company didn't go the way you hoped it for, doesn't mean that God is mad with you, doesn't mean that God is angry with you, doesn't mean that you have failed. 
The world is broken. And so be careful of trying to over-explain that. Just when things are broken, broken things happen. Jesus is still Lord. And Jesus, first service, my goodness. Somebody in the first service, they said it publicly, so I think we can say it again. Somebody in the first service, this is their last two weeks. Their friend died, they buried their friend, and then their house burned down. And in the first service, they said to us, and I just want to say here that Jesus is still Lord. Goodness, made my cold seem a little less relevant to the pain of my own week, right? Um, I've taken up far too much of all of your time, but can, can you hear what we're kind of just wrestling with a little bit there? Just if Jesus himself is reliant on the power of the Spirit, you can too, but don't, but don't judge yourself because you are human and you're a broken human. Jesus still loves you and he has come towards you and he has rescued you. Is that Okay. Hope you hear that. Let's do this, because um, this is what we should always do when we don't know what to do. Just confess what we believe. Would you stand with me? Hey, did you want to lead us in the creed? Are you okay to do that? And say anything that you want to in why we should do this. <laughs> I think uh, in saying things like the creed and prayers and psalms and things like that, it gives us words when we don't have them. And so we can confess this because no matter where we are in our doubts and questions, there's probably still part of us that knows these things to be true, even when we're unsure of them. And so we can say these things to just remind ourselves of what it is that we believe. So join me with this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. Third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So may you go in the confidence that God has found you. And may you find his revelation in your life. Let me just simply say this. If that feels like such a far off thing for me, I have one little invitation for you to do. Go back to the Gospels. Maybe just read a chapter a day for the next six months. Just pick up your Bible and start at the beginning of the Gospels. And just pray this one prayer for me. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Give it six months. and Just see what God starts revealing to you. Go with his grace and peace, friends.